0: Welcome to the Working Capital Real Estate Podcast. My name is Jesse Bergali, and on this show, we discuss all things real estate with investors and experts in a variety of industries that impact real estate. Whether you're looking at your first investment or raising your first fund, join me and let's build that portfolio one square foot at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jess Vergalli, and you're listening to Working Capital, the real estate podcast. I have a returning guest, Brian Bolio. Brian is the CEO and chief economist of ITR Economics. He is also a returning guest from episode number 67. If you want to go check that out, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jess. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Always good when I get to talk to a uh, get to talk real estate with an economist. Um, so nothing's happened since we last spoke, uh, episode 67. <laughs> so I'm thinking about a year and a Probably, uh, over just over a year ago.
1: Yeah, nothing's happened since then. You're absolutely right. Oh man, yeah, been a it's, long year it's been it's been. It, I don't know. Life still isn't back to normal since uh, the pandemic. Hit. We're going through all these COVID echoes. This is what I call them. I mean, the the inflation is a COVID echo because it stems from the government's and Federal Reserve's response to the pandemic, and now we have higher interest rates as an echo because that's stemming from the inflation that stemmed from the pandemic and those two factors are having uh, other echoes, including through the real estate market. I mean, mm-hmm. we're gonna, we're still years away from being back into normal economics in, in my opinion. Um, and that includes the current yield curve and the extreme extremeness of the yield curve, which can lay directly at the feet of the Federal Reserve. Um, and that isn't going to do any of us any good either. So we're still living with the economic after effects of COVID, even though we're running around without masks anymore. Uh, we, we're bearing the scars, the economic scars.
0: And how, if you were to grade the, uh, the fiscal policy, let's, let's focus on the U S uh, for now. Uh, how would you grade that fiscal res- uh, policy response and a continued response, uh, to the economic environment that we're currently in?
1: Well, I graded as C It's fairly average in that, um, with each successive economic quote unquote crisis, the fiscal policy response has grown disproportionately large. Um, at the point now where when we see a fly on the windshield, we don't even think about it. We just grab a sledgehammer to kill the thing. Hmm. Um, you know, there's no measured response anymore, it seems. And, you know, it's, and it just occurred to me, it seems to be in direct response to the, the divisiveness of the two political extremes. Um, they seem to want to do outdo each other in terms of, you know, bringing in favor and votes and getting reelected at ever extreme levels. It's very disturbing.
0: So do you see on the monetary side? So we're, you know, since we last spoke, even uh, we've we've gone up on interest rates a number of times uh, continued. You know, if anybody had construction loans or anybody was doing any variable type of debt, they definitely felt it over the last year. Uh, did you. You know, playing Monday morning quarterback, your view of the interest rate increases, did they overdo it? Was it just enough? Not enough. Oh,
1: they get an F. The Federal Reserve gets an F. Uh, they were too slow to start to push those interest rates up. Um, and now they're going way too high. They've created this inverse yield curve. Um, you know, it's it's Federal Reserve 101. The Federal Reserve is supposed to be looking at the long gone, taking some clues from that and and Chairman Powell and this Federal Reserve, they seem to be off the reservation. I don't know if I can even say that anymore. You probably have to edit that out. Um, they seem to be no longer playing by the, the playbook that we all have known through prior cycles. Uh, and they're, by now, they should have been saying not we're going to increase rates by a smaller amount. They should have said we're stopping because disinflation is here. And let's see how far down it's going to come without us ruining the economy. Hmm. And they should have come to their realization <clears throat> three or four months ago. And, the, and they failed to. And hence we're in this um, inverse yield curve situation, which uh, is not pleasant. I just went through and looked at uh, for all of our December client accounts. The the data will be touching uh, their company data. Um, 43% of our Clients in December will be able to tell them that they are not interest rate sensitive. Uh, the inverse yield curve is not going to be adversely impacting them. Um, but for all the others, they're clearly at risk because of uh, the interest rate trends that have been for, forced upon us. Really, um, get, getting back to your to your uh, really your concern, it, it is you know the unaffordability of the single family houses now. It's not the fact that housing prices went up so much during COVID because the market's already correcting for that. You know, we're seeing those markets in key metro areas coming down. Uh, It's what I call the Peloton effect. You know, everybody going up, everybody's in quotes. I got a Peloton because you were stuck at home. Mm -hmm. Uh, Demand was screwy relative to supply, prices went up. Now this Peloton's sitting in the closet after being used for all of six or eight weeks, something like that. Prices in those key metro areas are coming down, but the rates aren't going to come down enough to offset the damage that has been done, and the builders at the same time, at least the ones that I've been talking to, are saying, "Look, I don't, I don't need to be pulling all these permits. I'm not going to hold the land. I'm not going to pay those carrying costs. I, I'm, my backlog is good for 23, so uh, you know, I'll think about pulling those permits further on down the line when I'm when I'm back out there. I'm constantly telling people." Uh, when they, not strangers, but when they asked me. Um, this is thousand six, 2006, seven, eight, nine again though, um, because the homeowners out there actually qualified for their mortgages in this go round. Uh, homeowner vacancy rates are, are very, very low. And the consumer is in really good shape, financially speaking, despite what the headlines may be saying. When you look at uh, loan delinquencies, whether it's auto or housing, Um, You look at on the corporate side of the street, um, businesses are still in reasonably good financial shape. Very, very different scenario than what we saw in 2006, 2007 in particular. Um, So the paradigm I think that we should be looking at is more like 2000, 2001 or 1990, 91. And um, Jess, I I mean, you may have read about the early 1990s, but...
0: (laughs) Survive till ninety-five. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that. So that that's a great point. So interest rates have gone kind of crazy uh, compared to the last ten years. Inflation is where it's at. But you know, for those that do remember 08 and you know prior to my time, nineteen ninety-one, uh, you're saying that the paradigm we should be looking through is the early nineties or the dot-com uh, era. What? Why is that? Why does why that paradigm make more sense than say 08?
1: At least for the real estate market, it makes more sense because of the inventory levels, buyer qualifications. Um, I even remember in in 1987, we had another housing crisis and through that period, and again, it was people who were way overextended um, and you could see it in their balance sheets and we're not seeing that in uh, consumers' balance sheets today. Uh, real incomes are going up. That, By real, I mean after adjusting for inflation,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is incredibly important because that means our incomes are still rising and will match these market levels uh, eventually. It's just takes some time to readjust the market. But what I've been doing is, and it's for housing, for our clients, for just about anything that I can trend, I actually look to see the deviation up Side deviation from the long-term trend. And that helps me uh, identify the Peloton effect. Um, And housing clearly experienced the Peloton effect. So we have to go through this, I think it's gonna be um, two to three more quarters of uh, lackluster uh, single family market activity before it starts to turn around and we start that recovery process then we run the risk of that getting short-circuited, that recovery process getting short-circuited in 2024 because of the inverse yield curve. Um, so it, it's the intermediate outlook, with, and we, for me that includes 2024, um, doesn't look all that great for uh, single-family housing units. Now multifamily to me looks fantastic because you're looking at uh, uh, affordability problem for single family homes um and we're still looking at low vacancy levels for those multi-family homes and the affordability quotient is going to work there where it doesn't work on the single family home so they're both residential market right but one's going to be uh, much more resilient to these economic circumstances than the other is mm-hmm. and since the last time we talked just yes, the uh i've I did this analysis, um, it was fascinating to me. Single family new homes, those prices experience quite a bit of beta on the way up and on the way down. Whereas the multifamily uh, is very resistant to decline in price. They, they, those prices went down in 2008, the great recession of that through that period. But in other recessions, they just flatten out. They don't really go down and they become a much better store of value. Um, If you want, you know, you'll strike it rich if you strike the single family market correctly. Uh, But if you wanna play the long game, then you're better off in the multifamily market. And I correlated multifamily home pricing to existing uh, to stock market. It's oblivious to the stock market. I correlated it to the general business cycle uh, B- GDP or U.S. industrial production is not correlated to that either. In other words, it's a wonderfully safe place to be for the next 10 years with all this craziness going on around us.
0: So Brian, you know that uh, I'm a student of economics, but I only play a smart guy on TV here. So if you could yeah. educate us on you we see we see good job numbers I see all the data we look at we see uh businesses hiring we see that there isn't a credit crisis like there was in 08 um but we still look around and there's this there's this talk of recession in the next year the next two years what is the driver for the layperson of of that outlook uh, of that outlook into uh into the next year or two well the first
1: driver is that's what the headlines are screaming at us day after day after day so um, it becomes part of our emotional makeup when you hear that sort of thing Uh, and it because some sectors like we've seen the housing market pricing come down we we know household furniture is doing poorly we know that home exercise equipment is doing poorly Um, all those peloton factors it's not hard to spot them Uh, 30% of the customers, our client data that I looked at for December had some Peloton effect. So they're feeling this air underneath them after they're running so hard in 21 and 22. Uh, So that impacts uh, the thinking also. But you have to separate the 30% from the other 70% that aren't feeling that. Um, And that's what keeps it from being the Great Recession uh, redux.
0: So if, if from the practical standpoint for investors or even homeowners that are getting into real estate or recently purchased real estate where interest rates are where they are, what what is the conventional wisdoms suggestion or, or advice in terms of longer term fixed uh, rates versus shorter term, you know, refinance in a couple of years is are you seeing um, are you seeing a trend in one way or the other?
1: When it comes to those long term rates, you uh... My preference would, and what I would personally do is go fixed either for seven or 10 years, get a fixed rate. They may come down um, some, and I know the, the street is uh, loading in some assumptions about interest rate decline. I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, we're not gonna see an inflation correct as much as we have in the past, and therefore we're not likely to see the interest rates back down as much as we have in the past. And while waiting, home home prices two, three years from now could very well be up considerably from where they are today. So you'll pay about the same rate mortgage for a higher priced home. So if you like it, pull the trigger now.
0: So we're also seeing uh, rental prices in most of the major, major markets that we're in uh, go up quite substantially. And, you know, the idea of, of real estate investing for us has always been this idea where you can pass on some of that inflation to your customers or renters. Uh, do you, do you see a correlation between the, uh, the valuation of where homes are now start starting to get priced in, I guess, quotations properly, uh, and the, the rate that we're able to increase rents? Because what I've noticed is that the, especially multifamily, most of the, um, the people in our market here in Toronto and I was just in New York this week you know they are very very sensitive to dropping any valuation because they've seen their prices you know at a certain high so i f- i feel like there's a bit of a lag there but on at the same time we're seeing int- uh, we're seeing rental increases that we've we haven't been able to get in years over the last year or two so what do you make of that the interplay there between valuation and the recent ability to increase rent quite substantially
1: well you're gonna help me out here a little bit valuation of which asset: single-family or multi-family
0: yeah so in this case I'm thinking more on the commercial end but we can choose multi-family as as that commercial asset
1: okay um because commercial to me is a very broad bucket
0: yeah yeah I mean uh the commercial multi-family as in five units or greater so apartment buildings
1: yeah um it becomes uh, um, a positive feedback loop in that um, the external single family competition is difficult to afford, um, which means you can raise rates and because you can raise rates and because of the historical tendency for those valuations to be sticky in, the, in that particular market uh, becomes even more valuable. Uh, but there is that lag obviously between um, the cause and the effect um, I think that's a trend that we are going to see go on in a positive way and from an investment standpoint in a positive way uh, through the rest of this decade and maybe a couple of years into the 2030s. So this is just the beginning of that ride
0: from our perspective so in the business cycle, uh where do you see us in you know are we are we headed towards the trough are we are we in it um, yeah.
1: We're not in it yet, not from a macroeconomic perspective. Um, you know, you're in Toronto, so the circumstances are somewhat different because the U.S. dollar is so strong right now that it, it is distorting the economics between yeah. north and south of that border. Um, yeah, as- I
0: did. I did a crazy thing uh, last year. I <laughs> I bought my first U.S. property reconstruction so i got hit with the interest rate increases and i got hit with the dollar i was like what could happen in a year turns out a lot
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah um Sometimes you just get lucky. Sometimes you just get unlucky. That's the way it works. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, uh, I was at Danny Kahneman and, uh, Tversky where it's, it's that loss aversion, right? I'll remember about this one, but, you know, 10 years ago when I hit it out of the park, I won't remember that. So uh, you have to think it kind of evens out in the end. Uh, you know, we're in it for the long haul in real estate.
1: Oh, yeah. You absolutely have to be. Which state did you buy in in the States?
0: So I bought in Orlando a townhouse. Oh. Yeah. But what I still amazing or what was amazing to me was that the the actual yield, um, you know, was a 9% yield and it, like cap rates in Toronto at the time, even now they're starting to come up. But three, 4% was like your typical cap rate in Toronto. So wow. even with the interest rate increases as a foreign national, the lowest I was going to be able to get was in the low fours. Uh, it turned out to be somewhere in the sevens. I didn't want to I don't even want to think about it now um but the you know the the good headline or the you know the thing that you know was the silver lining i guess I should say was the fact that it still was going to coverage in cash flow uh which most of our major markets and in u s major markets finding cash is, uh it's not the easiest thing to do in some of the uh you know oh, yeah, absolutely we're,
1: we're, you know and you Thanks for telling me the uh, specific market. I mean, you're not going to go wrong in that market. You played the long game. I know you do, and uh, you're going to be smiling at and patting yourself on the back down the road. So,
0: so Brian, for listeners that I don't know if they've if they haven't listened to the previous episode, they you know your background as an economist. What does this look like from kind of an economics 101 standpoint of how we go into the next phase of the business cycle? And then what are the clues or indicators that show that we're coming out of a, out of a cycle and maybe even using a historical perspective uh, to kind of outline it?
1: Well, the big glaring clue right now is that we have had an inverse yield curve in the states sustained for two consecutive months. And that's statistically significant. And that means we are definitely heading toward turbulent waters compared to what we've been going through over the last couple of years uh, with more downside pressures and more weaknesses. Fortunately, though, as I mentioned before, the consumer is not in bad shape. And as you mentioned, the job situation is still 10.6 million unfilled jobs in the United States. Um, So those argue well for this not turning into a, a significant or appreciably bad, difficult downturn, but we're going to be feeling that downside pressure into deep into 2024. How are we going to know when we're coming out on the other side of it? Our leading indicators will begin to uh, go up and they are not close to doing that right now. Uh, we'll also know because uh, I, I expect the stock market is going to be leading the way out of this also. Um, I'm not at all confident the market isn't Going to show us some more downside before it finally reaches its low. Um, we'll know that we're we're nearing the low because it's been at least three quarters since the Federal Reserve has stopped raising interest rates. Uh, that'll be a good sign. as a rear view leading indicator, if you will. Um, but we'll pick that up through corporate bond prices when the bond prices start moving in the right direction. That'll be a good sign that we're coming out of uh, the hole. There's some things though that can that can well, can hurt more than they can help. Uh, China's still a mess. China's going backwards. Um, Their current political regime is taking them back into the 80s in terms of the politics, and that isn't healthy. And they are the world's second largest economy now. The good thing for the U.S., not so much Canada, is that we do more trade with Europe now than we do with China so they were not as tied to them but for china, uh, canada china is still very very important um particularly from a raw material standpoint um, and they're not looking very healthy right now so there's this there's that underlying weakness uh, that has to be factored in and then we have the russian invasion of ukraine yeah. and all of those ripple effects all occurring at a wrong time <laughs> in terms of trying to come up with a a positive outlook for the for the economy as a whole, it, it's difficult to contrive one. And that's when I, and I tell my audiences, but remember this serenity prayer, okay? You and I aren't going to change the interest rate environment. You and I aren't going to change these macroeconomic forces, but you and I can decide what assets we're going to invest in, where we're going to invest in them, we can control all the microeconomic variables. And if you do that well enough, then those macro things aren't going to hurt you in the long run. They're just going to you go, oh, really? why did I do that in the short run? But in the long run, you know, they those macro variables swing around. And because you made the right micro variable calls, you're a very happy camper.
0: There you go. So manage the manage the manageables. Exactly. Perfect.
1: And, goodness well, am going to say, stop reading the newspaper. This is why we invented sports. So you don't have to read the news. That's
0: that's exactly what I was going to say. I'd be mindful of the time here. But that was, you know, this aspect of in economics where it's expected, uh, you know, expected inflation, expect a lot of this, you know, does rely on what the what the sentiment is out there in the economy. So um, in terms of where we go from here, I guess that's probably a good suggestion to, you know, consume consume less uh less news um because yeah. the headlines are usually dire um but yeah but,
1: but i think there's a correlation between news consumption and drinking and they're positively correlated so. yeah
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah it's weird you go to the gym and you see cnn on and it's like why why is this on in the gym throw a ball game on or something yeah exactly okay well brian you're uh, you mentioned uh, prior to the show that you um you have a speaking event coming up
1: Alan and I are doing an ITR webinar on December 15th. Uh, It is on inflation, interest rates, and the US dollar. Um, And and if people go to our website, (coughs) itreconomics.com, they can see it uh, advertised there, if you will, and they can uh, um, sign up to be a part of the the audience.
0: Perfect, and uh, for those that want to reach out, uh, is the the website uh, ITR, is ITR Economics? dot mm-hmm. com okay yep. we'll put a link in the show notes okay brian well i appreciate you uh coming back on the show uh if anybody wants to uh, connect with the you, we'll put some notes in the uh put some links in the show notes um but thanks for being part of working capital thank you so much for listening to working capital the real estate podcast I'm your host, Jesse Frigali. If you like the episode, head on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and share on social media. It really helps us out. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram, Jesse Frigali, F-R-A-G-A-L-E. Have a good one. Take care.